Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we will be asking, what were the first lodges? Now, this is a question that often confuses the newcomer to Freemasonry, as any logical person would ask. If speculative masonry started in 1717, what was going on before then? And why, if there are so many illustrious names on the roster of the first lodges, did they meet in somewhere as common as a pub? To elaborate, here is Brother Earnshaw. Thank you. Yes, this is an interesting question. I believe there must have been lots of lodges in London before the revival of speculative masonry in 1717, because the after the Great Fire of London in 1666, um, the Mason's Hall Lodge was rebuilt in 16, two years later in 1668. Um, it was for, not for Freemasons, speculative Freemasons, but for operative Masons. And it, it's believed the hall actually goes, uh, originated probably about in the 1460s. Uh, so um, it was probably an assembly hall for Masons. Uh, there were probably several lodges, operative lodges in London before, uh, sorry, after the Great Fire of 1660, but we only know of four of them because they're in a book by Robert Gould called The Four Old Lodges. Uh, brethren will probably know the names, the, the Apple Tree, the Queen's Head, the Rummer and Grapes, and the Goose and the Gridiron. And these were operative lodges. That means they were run by Masons who built buildings for a living. And they, as you mentioned, you know, they met in pubs or taverns uh, in, in London. A tavern is different from a pub. A pub just sells alcohol, but taverns sell food and wine as well. And uh, in the old days in England, pubs used to be divided. I don't know if it's uh, still so in England, you would have a public bar and a saloon bar. And the saloon bar was a little bit smarter and also the drinks were more expensive. Um, so the first lodges, the speculative lodges uh, and also the operative lodges, they met in pubs. They, they used above uh, a room above the bar and they took the name of the pub. Uh, but the later they were actually given numbers. Yes, yeah, so I'd just like to add that the, there aren't separate areas in pubs in Britain nowadays, but a tavern or a pub was a very different place in those times to, to nowadays. A tavern on inn used to provide boarding and lodge for travelling workers. Sometimes they're referred to as freemen, and they were not just places for consumption of alcohol. And they were also a community hub. They were used as a meeting place, and they were probably the only place in town you could buy a drink that wasn't going to give you cholera or dysentery. And this right. kind of explains the importance of an alehouse in British culture, I believe. Uh, that's sure. You certainly couldn't drink the water in those days. You'd have Definitely to boil not. it. Definitely uh, not. People actually used to drink beer all day long. And children also had beer, which was watered down, uh, which they called small beer. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so these lodges, um, uh, after the start of the... Um, speculative Freemason in 1717, the lodges were then ranked by precedence based on which one was the oldest, calling the first four lodges the original lodges whose constitution is immemorial. 
unfortunately, the problem uh, this raises some problems because the lodges sometimes moved from one pub to another because either the landlord was charging too much or um, perhaps the beer was better somewhere else. And then um, rule was introduced by the Premier Grand Lodge that if a lodge did not make a report, what we call a return, uh, once a year, it would be struck off. So many lodges were st struck off and they went dark and the lodges below them moved up a number. And then um, it got kind of complicated because uh, if then you were able to get reinstated, you would receive a new number. So, um, but from the point of speculative Freemasonry, uh, only the rum and grapes is important as it was the lodge that transformed the ritual. The other three lodges, the Apple and uh, Queen's Head, were operative lodges and uh, they didn't have very high ranking brethren. Uh, this has been marked on by Gould in his book. Uh, they had about 15 members in each lodge. However, the Rummer and Grapes had a role of over 70 members and many leading men of the society at the time, uh, particularly speculative Freemasonry, including George Payne, uh, James Anderson and John de Sagulia were members of this lodge. Uh, the other lodges were built next to building sites. So after the Great Fire, St. Paul's Cathedral had to be rebuilt. And there were lots of other projects, uh, such as rich people building large mansions and also terraced housing to be built as an investment. Um, one of the people will know the British Museum, uh, also Buckingham Palace. These were both uh, previously rich people's houses. Um, Buckingham Palace, for example, was owned by, was built, well, actually, it was built ex expanded, I think is the correct word, uh, by the Duke of Buckingham. And later, King George III bought it from him for his, his wife, the Queen. And at the time, it had about 150 rooms, uh, though the new, the present Buckingham Palace has over 770 rooms. Uh, as a note, there are also three other uh, royal palaces in London, uh, St. James's Palace, Kensington Palace, and Hampton Court, and Hampton Court was favoured by King Henry VIII. Anyway, so the lodges uh, run by the operative lodges were not in very good parts of the town. And um, however, uh, the lodge run by the, uh, sorry, which started the beginning of speculative Freemasonry uh, was, in the rich parts of town. This has changed its name from the Rummering Grapes to the Horn Tavern. And it is near the Houses of Parliament. And it had a very elite membership. So it distinguishes itself from the other operative lodges. Some of the members were uh, Lord Paisley, uh, the Duke of Queensbury. Uh, one of his descendants uh, wrote up the Queensbury Rules of Boxing. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, Wall, uh, Lord Waldegrave, um, then um, let's see, Lord Lip Biesterveld from Germany and the Earl of Lorraine, who later uh, became King Francis I of Germany, uh, Count Waltzdorf and several, uh, several others. 
And they were interesting because it was a mixture of Protestant and Catholic, Scots and English, and it, it was a very uh, eclectic membership. So these were definitely not blue collar workers. They were not uh, stonemasons. And uh, it was, uh, I think, the, the impetus or the catalyst that started speculative Freemasonry. Well, that was fascinating, Brother Earnshaw. I didn't know a lot of those facts, so I thank you for that. And that about brings this episode to a close. If you have any questions, please email on the link below. And we now part on the square and we will meet soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.